The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Well, today we're going to do something a little bit different. Because we've heard that it's possible for a person to experience heaven right here on planet Earth. What we haven't necessarily heard in terms of experiential dynamic is how to do that. So how does a person stand fully inside him or herself and live from that central organizing essence? Well, it's a process. And this week we're going to talk about some of the specific case studies that demonstrate how we can do this. Do we have to have a near-death experience as some do? Do we have to have some major life-changing transformational event? Do we have to meditate for hours and hours every day? Do we have to exclude all so-called negative thinking from our minds? Do we have to become an ascetic or a guru? We're going to talk about all the things you do and don't have to do today, so don't miss the show. You want to hang in here to the very end because there's a lot of information that's coming out today. So in the book, Inhabiting Heaven Now, the answer to every moral dilemma ever posed. Uh, I, I spent some time comparing the, uh, the experience of inhabiting heaven now to drinking from a deep well of water that will provide us with living water. Jesus talked about that with the woman of Samaria. And there's a chapter, chapter 9 in the book, talks a lot about what that uh, story actually means uh, differently from what we've traditionally learned that it means. And and um, so from there, I make, a, I make a comparison to how we can go about living uh, the authentic self and living in, hab- in, in, in a way that inhabits heaven now. And I'm going to read you just a little bit, an exper- excerpt of the book uh, for just a little bit, and then we're going to talk about these case studies. So have you ever wondered what it might be like to have a capacity to breathe underwater? I mean, we can breathe everywhere else on the planet. Why can't we breathe underwater? True, when we arrive at the highest heights on the planet, the air is thinner, and so we must train ourselves to breathe at these heights, but we can still breathe there. So why are we forbidden this sojourn underwater? Well, I'm sure that many who don't think the kinds of weird thoughts that I think might find my question to be a bit on the ridiculous side. I mean, it's apparent that we can't breathe underwater because we don't have gills. But these same people, usually more or less scientific types, would assert that we evolved from some kind of primeval slime or something like it, an argument I cannot legitimately dispute. Yet, I do wonder, if that's true, why didn't we develop gills and lungs as some amphibians did? Why is it that when we want to explore the ocean's depths, we have to strap on some kind of special equipment that allows us only a certain range and depth? 
Of course, I may never know, but what I do know is that from a psychological and spiritual perspective, if we're ever going to learn how to drink of that living water, we're going to have to develop psychological and spiritual gills. We're going to have to learn to breathe underwater, and we're going to have to learn how to do this without getting the bends. So, first and most importantly, we're already doing this. Lifetime after lifetime, incarnation after incarnation, we're slowly getting acquainted with the deep ranges of our being. This is, after all, why we are here. We're here to walk through the duality trance state to the other side of duality, oneness. We are here to ultimately and finally finish the question about duality, putting it to rest once and for all, not only for ourselves, but for all of posterity and for the entire universe. So as we evolve into more and more truth about who we really are, we are slowly and more and more consciously stepping into the ocean. As a symbol for the unconscious, the ocean is an excellent metaphor for it tells us of the vast regions of the unknown material within the individual and collective mind, wherein we will find both the ferociousness of our fears and the wonders of organic life itself. So what we don't know is that while on a, on a conscious level we are slowly stepping into the ocean, on an unconscious level we've been swimming there all along. By bridging the gap between the conscious and the unconscious world, we begin to realize that flow that carries us from one truth to another to another until we know who we are. So let's talk about a case study now. In the book, I talk about a character that is a composite character, a fictitious composite, a fictitious composite, uh, which means that she's a composite of lots of different stories I've heard from listeners, from readers, from clients, from friends, from all kinds of people, and even from my own life story. So meet Selena, daughter of Joe and Benita Webster. Selena grew up in a middle-income neighborhood, attended a middle-income school, befriended middle-income peers, and ultimately married a middle-income man and took a middle-income job. Selena is the average American, Brit, European, Japanese, Australian woman. There's really nothing at all that outstanding about Selena. She's got her issues and her talents. She's got her faults and her good points, as we say. But Selena, like all of us, has lived mostly from the cultural and familial mores of her world, and she's basically out of touch with that other world under the sea of her unconscious. Yet like many middle-income folks, she's developing this vague sense of discontent, a slight awareness that this is not enough, not really something missing, just not really enough. Selena begins to take yoga classes, and from there she gets involved in some meditation groups and begins a daily practice. And one day, during her morning meditation, she slips beyond the duality trance state, beyond morality, beyond land, and turns up right smack dab in the middle of the ocean. Without a splash, she arrives under the surface where the quiet overtakes her, and she begins to hum and throb with gentle sway of the truth. She's not even watching herself in this place. There is no observer, just the experiencer. Here she stays, listening to the nothing that is everything, until slowly she begins to wonder how this is happening and how it could possibly be happening to her. After all, does she deserve this experience? Then just as suddenly as she arrives, she finds herself back on land again, and she sits momentarily on the beach of this experience and tries to figure out what just happened. She looks around her at the others in her meditation group to see if they might have experienced anything like it. When everyone is finished with their meditation, she asks if anyone else has ever had an experience like hers. They tell her that they envy her and they only wish they could. But Alice speaks up and says, maybe not exactly like yours, but something similar. 
Alice and Selena meet for coffee after work that day to talk about their experiences. But though Alice says that she's spoken with others who have had similar experiences, Selena thinks that this must mean that she, Alice, and the others are somehow special because not everyone gets to have an experience like this, yes? And Selena wants more. So she begins to practice meditation two times a day. But though she's able to touch the fringes of that depth through the emotional experience with joy or a feeling of deep peace, she can't quite get there again. She was already bored with her life when she started. Now she's really frustrated. She wants to live in that state of total experience for the rest of her life, but she can't figure out how to do it. She reads every book on the planet on meditation and new thought, and she continues her meditation practice, but practice it is, for she just keeps waiting to arrive again at the Carnegie Hall of Meditative Experiences. But as Selena continues her practice, she begins to become aware of things in her life and the thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that are not really true to her anymore. First thing was her job. She hated her job. Didn't used to, before all this meditation stuff happened, but now... She hates getting up in the morning and going to this stale place and working with these milk-toast people to accomplish exactly nothing. But this is what she'd trained to do, and changing it now was a bit like trying to get on another boat mid-river. It's a little rocky. So she just didn't do anything, and she kept hoping for that experience to happen to her again, as it had before in her meditation. The next thing that she noticed was that she carried with her a great deal of tension in her relationships, starting with her parents and moving through with that with her husband and children, all the way to her friends and acquaintances. She began to wish they'd all just go away and leave her alone, and in fact, she began to spend more and more time alone in meditation. But the tension would not go away. At first, she thought that the reason she felt this tension was because she really only wanted to, that peace that she felt that special day. But slowly she began to realize that she'd felt that same tension all of her life. It seemed to her now that she'd always been trying to get them to approve of her, like her, even love her. She was always trying to figure out what they needed and expected of her before they ever ever even hinted of it, so that she could give it to them, and then they would like her, approve of her, and even love her. And now, she's since she's experienced the deep vibration of truth, she just knew to the core of her being that she was going to have to stop doing that. At first, she thought that this meant that she'd have to somehow stop caring what they thought. But as she just watched and listened to what was going on inside of her with each encounter with another person, she began to realize that it wasn't really about stopping anything. It was about starting something else. And what she wanted to start had to do with paying attention to her own internal urgings, passions, and compassions, and then acting according to their impetus. Of course, she stumbled around quite a bit with this at first. It was entirely new to her, and she had two voices to contend with now, the one that told her that if they didn't approve of her, then she would be totally abandoned by them, and they would reject her outright, and then she would have to face herself in the mirror and see that she was utterly worthy of such rejection. That voice was loud and provided her with a compulsive, knee-jerk reaction to every encounter, which meant that she very often caught herself trying desperately to please them, rescue them, or otherwise win their approval. And that internal critic came up, too. That voice that said, you're so stupid, why can't you get it right? Look, they just got you going again. How long is it going to take you to get it right? At first when this happened, she would find herself in the slew of despond. She wanted fiercely to only participate in that beautiful peace she felt that day when she landed in the sea. But she kept screwing up. And then she began to realize that every time she caught herself giving in to that knee-jerk reaction to please them, she was also A, getting it sooner each time, and B, realizing some new element of her reaction that she'd not seen before. 
In other words, each time she took a step back toward land, she remembered something she left back there that she was going to need for the rest of her journey. And she was getting closer and closer to being able, in the moment, to thinking, feeling, acting, and telling the truth. And then she began to be aware of a third voice, a much more subtle voice, but one she could feel kind of humming down inside of her. That voice was the voice of peace. The more she lived her own truth, the more apparent this voice became to her. And every now and then, she was able to really do that with someone, really do it, where she seemed to hear the same old siren call to crash her boat on the same old rocks. But instead, she stood up straight, took a deep breath, and told her truth. She also began to behave more out of that truth, making itself more and more profoundly evident to her. She began to make decisions based on that truth rather than pleasing others. And the feeling of elation, personal freedom, and empowerment that she got from this very thing became its own reward. But then there was the guilt. It came in like a rogue wave and knocked her off her feet so that she floundered and sputtered in the waves just off the beach of her consciousness. That guilt told her that she was selfish, small-minded, and inconsiderate of those whose needs she had just betrayed. These people needed her to continue to please, rescue, and otherwise take care of them. What were they going to do now? How could she be so self-centered and insensitive? And everything, it seemed, everything within her urged her to go back and undo what only moments ago she felt so good about doing. She finds herself lying on the beach now, coughing and sucking the air for all it's worth. She, but instead of rushing back into the waves, she bows to this position, just surrendering to lying there, winded and wet. As she does, she decides to stay right here for a minute. She needs to allow this to be, this war within her own psyche. She does not need to win right now. She just needs to hear the clink of the swords. And as she listens, she begins to hear within, within the syncopated rhythm of each clink the sound of truth coming through. She sits up and holds that position in the brine of small waves lapping now around her, and she looks out to the sea, and here is what she sees. Guilt has been her way of swallowing herself, keeping herself secret from herself. Guilt has been the rationale for staying stuck in smallness, for not allowing herself its true size, shape, and form. Guilt seduces her into thinking that if she gives into it, she is right and good, and that is good enough. She doesn't have to seek anything more, and she can stay right here on the beach and never have to brave the waves again. She sees now that guilt is holding her hostage to a compulsive way of interacting with others, a way that means doing the same old thing in a repetitive fashion, almost like a ritual prayer that asks and asks for this one thing, please let them like me. She isn't good. She's manipulative. She isn't bad either. She's just believed that manipulation was how she might survive. And now she sees that surviving this way has kept her from living. She survived on dishonesty and manipulation, all the while telling herself that she was a good person for doing so. This knowledge does not come with judgment, but with certainty. Of course, that is short-lived, because here comes another wave of guilt. And it goes that way for a while, with Selena developing a clearer and clearer vision, only to have it go away again, momentarily, as she falls on her knees again and again, as the waves roll in. But on her knees... She's able to hold on to the ever-moving sand and grab hold of some fresh new insight about herself and her life. Eventually, she stands, ready again to walk through the waves and dive into the next rogue wave, knowing that she can swim beneath its turmoil through to the other side. 
And once past it, she will begin the process of figuring out what to do about that career she no longer enjoys, and then what to do about that challenge she's taken on to raise her children, and then what to do about that next challenge, and then what to do with this joy and this peace and this opportunity and that new challenge. And each time she looks into the depth of one of these surface issues, she is like a snorkeler peering into the depths from above, and each time she sees, she is swimming those depths. You see, it's really all about vision. As Selena has evolved, she has begun to look not only at the surface issues that present, but at the hidden meanings and the issues beneath them, and she stopped looking to others for the answers to her life. She doesn't need them to like her. She doesn't need them need to fix them. She doesn't need to live her life based on fear that she's not going to get it right. She needs to see. She needs to see what is beneath, where the whale sings and the coral grows in strange and meaningful patterns. She needs to see and see more. The problem has never been her guilt, her attempts to manipulate, or her sin. The problem has been her blindness. She hasn't seen who she really is. And when all that guilt, manipulation, traps, and judgment are gone, who is she now? That is the question, and is the only question ever worth asking or going through the trouble to answer. The sea is wild at the surface, but calm at its center. We have to walk through, walk through the wild and learn to swim to the center. So that's the story of Selena that is read, uh, that is told in the book Inhabiting Heaven Now, the answer to every moral dilemma ever posed. And the story basically says this is the process of heaven. We've been taught that heaven, A, is not a process, it's a place, and B, is a place that we only arrive after we die. And so, you know, all the uncertainty that exists in our minds about what happens after people die uh, still is there. And so we can't ever have heaven right here on earth, or if we do, it's only temporary and it's externalized in the form of some great love that's come into our lives or some fantastic job, but those are temporary and they don't, they, they don't continue to make us uh, elated uh, as we hope they will. But the process of, 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 of heaven, the process that is that perpetual, incessant process, that's the way it's described in the Bible, um, it, as Jesus describes it in, in many of those parables he uses to describe heaven. He, he calls it an incessant and perpetual process. The words he uses, the root language that he uses, are talking about heaven as a process, not a place. And so what we understand then is that this process is one that includes in one of his parables, both the wheat and the tares, both the wheat that's growing well and the weeds that are also growing right alongside them. And so we have that wheat and tares, those wheat, wheat and tares inside of us. We also, uh, so the weeds are growing. Those things that aren't working are growing. Those things like we described with Selena, um, her guilt. That's one of the things that's grown and grown and grown in her wheat field, which is the he- which is also heaven. Um, and she has had to take the you know pull those weed- weeds out from the wheat, but not while it was growing. Only after the harvest season season comes. So her harvest season started when she began to uh, have that meditation experience where she felt that uh, enormous oneness with the universe. And her experience with that led her to the next and the next and the next and the next experience. So she sort of touched the hem of the garment. And then she began to do the work of, of 
processing through, of being honest with herself. And uh, that, as, as we also see in the book, is the beginning of the process, telling the truth uh, to ourselves, about ourselves, and what we've been up to. And uh, that's a real important part of the process that we're going to talk more about right after the break. So you want to stay tuned. We have another case study we're going to talk about after this break, and, and we're going to talk more about the how-to of experiencing heaven, inhabiting heaven now. Be back in just a minute. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio. Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free. 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. You may wonder what the terms holistic theology mean. Well, theology is the study of the divine, and holistic theology is a holistic study of the divine that includes all religions and even transcends religion to get to the mystical core of them all. The American Institute of Holistic Theology offers doctorate, master's, and ministerial bachelor's degrees, chaplaincy programs with internship, NBCC-approved continuing education, and a Ph.D. program in holistic theology. AIHT's programs include degrees in the following, 
holistic theology, offering as both terminal degrees, both a THD and a PhD, holistic ministries, holistic health and spiritual care, metaphysical spirituality, and alternate spiritual traditions, which includes in-depth studies in the paranormal. Using a home study model for distance learning, the student of AIHT gets a thorough education in the field that fulfills and offers a chance to authenticate a unique gift for the world. What's most important to AIHT's model is the exploratory nature of studies that reach to the depths of all the world's religions, traditions, and paths. Utilizing as your text writing teachers spiritual experts from all over the world, the coursework allows students to explore and find their own spiritual experience and path, and then if they wish, to take healing, help, and wisdom to others. So AIHT is changing the world one student at a time. And all you have to do to enroll is either go to www.aiht.edu or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800 650 Four three two five. Again, if you'd like to enroll right now, pick up the phone and call 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. So we've been talking today about case studies in inhabiting heaven now, in the process that is heaven and as we said in the earlier segment, we, uh, we have learned uh, that, that heaven is a process. It is not a place, and it is not a place we go to after we die. It's a process, and it is an ongoing, forever, incessant, perpetual, eternal process that never stops. And so we are in that process already, but most of us are not conscious of the experiences that are, are bringing us heavenly, heaven right now in the moment of every day what what we do that sort of blocks our consciousness of that is we stay in untruth we stay in the lie of duality that's the first lie that says that we are separate from the divine and we stay in the the survival trance which says that we're we must survive we must survive at all costs and survival uh, can be seen from its actual physical perspective or it can be seen from its mental, emotional, spiritual perspectives. So survival to some might might be I've got to do anything in my power to make sure that people don't reject me because rejection feels like death to me. So our survival runs on different uh, levels. And we can say, well, you know, that's not as serious as, you know, somebody that's um, – actually in physical danger because that person could really die well i say they are equally serious because when we are talking about survival uh, say for example in, in that example given of selena where she used guilt to help her to motivate her to stay stuck in that place where she had to please others or she should feel guilty and uh that that was her survival technique. And so she had learned that early in life from whatever experiences she'd had early in life. And that, uh, that experience, those experiences taught her who she ought to be. And so she lived that out as, oh my gosh, if I don't live that out, I won't belong in this family system. And not belonging in the family system means death to an infant, to a child, to a toddler for sure. And even young children. And so, uh, there, it started there, and we began to make associations with death. And then eventually, then, okay, well, death is tantamount if I don't please people. 
And it becomes this real sense of urgency that if I don't please these people, I'm going to die. And uh, so we've made that association. But And if we don't, if we are not able to please people or at least convince ourselves that we've pleased someone, then depression can set in and even suicidality can set in. So, yes, we are talking about literal death as well. Um, so we can't minimize the 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 survival trance. It is definitely a very powerful influence in our lives, and it wants us to perform in certain ways to facilitate that feeling of safety that we can get when we've done what it asks us to do. Oh, okay, I'm safe now. I'm not going to die today. Uh, I've pleased enough people today, so I'll be okay. Um, so that's eventually, that's how it happens. But as we've seen, what, uh, what Selena had to do to begin the process of, uh, uncovering the buried treasure of her heaven, which is always within her, was to begin to tell herself the truth and begin to become aware of the things that really didn't fit her and never had, but she thought they had. And, and it's just like the story that was told in, um, in, in that parable that, that, well, actually, supposedly a story. I don't know whether it's a real parable or not, but I think of it as a parable that Jesus uh, met this Samaritan woman at the well, and um, she, he asked her to give him some water, and she and and she said something like, "Well, you know, you've got you don't even have a cup, uh, uh, a spoon to get it out with. How do you think I'm going to get you some water?" And and he said. Basically, if you knew what water I'm talking about, um, you could have the water of living life, living the eternal life, uh, the living water. And um, so, he, as he talked to her, he began to reveal some things to her about her own life, which she already knew. And she then began to go, "Well, now wait a minute, who are you?" And of course, that meant that she would run into the town and say, "I've met a prophet," and she did that. Um, but the thing that happened there that was so important was that she told the truth. Um, Jesus told her, yes, you you know, this man isn't your husband. You've had seven uh, husbands and this one isn't your husband. You're just living with him. And she admitted to, yes, that's exactly what I'm doing. And uh, so that, I'm sure there was more to just the story than you got had seven husbands and you're living with this guy. That has some metaphorical import as well. But um, basically what she said was, yes, that's that's what I'm doing. She didn't say, oh, no, I'm not doing that. Oh, no, that would be bad. I can't do that. Which is, for most of us, what we do inside of ourselves when we're confronted with something that we consider to be not so good. Um, something fairly ugly, something that we should feel ashamed about, something we're embarrassed about. Uh, we just go, no, that's not really happening. I didn't really do that. And we will lie. And that is the lie that says, uh-oh, my survival depends on me lying here, so I will continue to lie. It's as if we all live in Dachau and some guard says to us, a prison guard says to us, you know, I'll get you some food if you'll just... um you know, let me have sex with you every night or something like that. And 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 we go, okay, yeah, just give me the food, whatever. And that's what we, that's kind of how we live. Um and and that's a very drastic example, but it's it tells the truth. We will sacrifice our authenticity for that survival knee-jerk kind of push that's inside of us that says, "Okay, you better do this or you're going to die." Um, and like I said, it can be attached to emotions, fear of rejection. It can be attached with ways of behaving. It can be attached to feelings of guilt or or um, all kinds of other feelings. So 
Um, so when the first step that the Samaritan woman took was to tell the truth to herself. And as we saw, that's the first step that Selena took as well. So I want to start to tell you a little bit about Adam. Now, I'm not going to read that. That was the only excerpt I'm going to read today. But um, Adam is a young man who grew up in a very abusive home. His parents were both um, drug addicts, and they didn't notice him much at all until and unless he did something that they considered to be disruptive to their peaceful drug haze. And um, so they that's the only time that they even knew he was on the planet. And um, when they noticed him, uh, the father would actually literally beat him. And uh, so Adam grew up in that paradigm that said, I only get attention when I'm bad. So he began to identify with being, quote, unquote, bad. So um, now as he grew up, he began to fight on the playgrounds and things like that because he um, he believed that he was bad. And every time he could prove to himself that he was bad, he was also proving to himself that he existed because you see that's how identity works. If I act like the person that my parents or my family needs me to be, then at least I exist in their minds. And if I exist in their minds, then I must exist. Because, you see, we're always looking for that mirror. Early in life, we're looking for that mirror. Somebody please tell me that I really exist in this body form. And so that's what happens. The mirror has a lot of power to inform us of who we are, although it's not really informing us of who we are. It's a informing us of what the mirror wants us to be. Uh, so what our parents want us to be, well, what his parents wanted him to be was out of the way. Um, and when he became a parent to them, he got a beating. And so he identified with that and uh, identified with punishment for being bad as well as being bad. Uh, so as time went by, he received, every time he received punishment, it was affirmation that he actually existed, so he did more and more bad to prove to himself that he existed, and he got into all kinds of uh, um, power trips with other people, power struggles with other people, and fights on the playground, and he finally got involved in a gang, and then ultimately became the leader of the, the gang lord, and it was a small neighborhood gang, so... Um, and so the only thing that he really did care about anymore was his younger sister, who he had left to participate in the quote-unquote real world outside of his home. His sister was still living in that abusive home, and he felt really badly about leaving her there. And he had always protected her prior to leaving the home. So now what he decided to do to protect her was send some of his uh, some of his devotees, uh, the gang members, to sort of watch out for her. And one of them, a guy named Ricky, got really uh, attracted to her and decided that he was going to have her. And she didn't like him as much as he liked her. As a matter of fact, she didn't like him much at all. And uh, so one day when he saw her flirting with someone else, he took her aside and ended up beating her and raping her and so badly that she ended up in the hospital and eventually she died. So now Adam feels extreme remorse about this. He feels very responsible for what's happened to her. And it triggers an existential crisis for him. He decides to go into a drug rehab facility and change his name so that he can get out of the gang. And he asks the, uh, the people in the facility to help him to get, you know, change his name completely so that he can 
get out of the gang and he can run and nobody will know where he's at. And that is what happened. They did help him do that. He ended up staying there for a long time and was able through group therapy and individual therapy to begin to look at some things in his life. And one of the things that he began to look at was that mantra in his head that his father had used. You're just a big fat nothing. You're just a big fat nothing. That's what his father used to say. You're going to be nothing. You're just a big fat nothing. And he heard that. And um, so uh, he, he began to become aware of that sort of mantra in his head and how it triggered him to prove that he was something. And the way he proved that he was something was to become the big bad dude and uh he so he began to notice that if he was a bad nude that dude excuse me then he'd be noticed enough to feel he existed and b he might be strong enough to be noticed and survive it so in other words he needed to be noticed but he also needed to be able to survive being noticed and so when he found himself um sort of giving up on on that idea of himself he began to wonder who he really was and who he, what he began to discover is this soft, tender guy underneath all of that who loved and wanted to protect his sister and who actually uh, loved his parents and wanted them to love him. And uh, But as he began to be aware of that, he also began to be aware of some really cold pride that he had, that he could beat up anybody and he could be as bad as he needed to be. And that pride was sort of a, a, a way of staying stuck in that old role. And he began to confront that. And, and, and realized that that pride had sort of kept him stuck there in that place. And, and, uh, of course he still felt tremendous guilt and, and responsibility for his sister's death and blamed himself for that. And so he had to work through some of those feelings as well. And, uh, but as time went by, Adam became very much aware of that tender side of himself. And he also began to start to meditate and, and seek out a spiritual uh, identity for himself and began to understand himself at a deeper, more spiritual level. And uh, he would have those same experiences that Selena had where he would have to confront something inside of himself that he considered to be shameful or ugly or something about which he felt remorse. And then he could also feel some peace rolling in. And that same thing began to happen over and over again. So eventually what happened to Adam was that he he realized that what he really wanted to do with his life and had really always wanted to do was he wanted to work as an EMT. And he did uh, go to school and he became got the, got the training and became an EMT. And just that, if we could stop right there, that would be enough to say, wow. But actually the story goes further uh, because um, though he had never attended any church or temple or mosque or anything like that, he, as he worked the 12-step program, he began to explore his own authentic spiritual beliefs. And he began to, uh, as I said, meditate, and he found deeper regions of himself. And slowly he began to define this part of himself as his truest essence so that he began to really become aware that who he really was was not that gang member he'd played like he was. And, uh, and he began to uh, walk the planet as both a teacher and 
an EMT rescuer with a keen vision of who he was and the power to recognize himself in every encounter. So Adam evolved to this other place entirely. And I'm sure that if you've uh, worked with any people who've uh, in the drug and alcohol field at all, you've met some people who've got some pretty amazing stories and have become these awesome spiritual giants in their own right. So Adam is just one example of that. But see, what I've done here is I've taken Selena, who seems to be a very good person, who basically operates out of guilt, although many people would say that was that's what makes her good. She has to use that guilt to be a good person. And we see Adam, who would be seen by most of us as a really bad person. And both of them had the same exact process. And the process, of, it was one in which they began to tell the truth to themselves. And as they began to tell the truth, they began to see deeper and deeper aspects of themselves, not only the parts that weren't really true to who they actually are as divine beings, but also they began to be able to see themselves as divine beings. And in that process, they are unfolding more and more awareness of who they are. So what's happening here is that they're getting touch with that heaven that is always there, but they're getting more and more in touch with it. So we're going to talk some more about this process right after the break. You want to stay tuned for this last section because we're going to talk about exactly how that process works. Be here for that. Back in a minute. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. How can you make holistic health care work for you? When you are in search of wholeness, it's time to listen to Mind, Body, Spirit, Living a Holistic Life with host Renee David Alkali. Here you will find cutting-edge information that approaches the human being as a biochemical, individual, whole person, rather than as a set of isolated symptoms. Learn how it all comes together on Mind, Body, Spirit, Living a Holistic Life, live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. On the program Inside Out, our outsides match our insides. Join host Beth Green along with co-host James Maynard for an insightful weekly journey that lets us all be real with no boundaries. We'll discuss current events, interview amazing guests, challenge old ideas, and see ourselves and our world more clearly. It's about you as much as us. So you're invited to call in, write in, and most of all, tune in. Listen for Inside Out, live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Explore subconscious programs, belief systems, and past life memories that may be sabotaging your life. Join host Dorian Light on her show, All About You, as she helps you to shift change and heal your life. Each week, Dorian does a light session using psychic energetics and the language of light to energetically shift and clear negative patterns you have stored regarding that week's topics. Step into the realm of infinite possibilities for your life. All About You airs live Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. 
We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back with the final segment talking today about some case studies in the process of heaven. And as we've said, heaven is a process. It is not a place we go after we die. It is not a place at all. It is a process. And it is an ever um, perpetual, eternal, incessant process that just doesn't ever stop. And why that is true is because the self, the divine self that we are, is the central organizing feature of our lives. That is the piece we miss um, we don't realize that actually the divine self is organizing our lives in a way that helps us wake up. And everything that happens is an opportunity to wake up. So what we hear uh, in a large part of our spiritual community, whether it's from the traditional mindset or the more non-traditional or, or um, human, poten- human potential sort of mindset, is that, is that there are certain things that we're supposed to do to make ourselves get in touch with a higher self or a more spiritual self. And those doing things are actually preventing us from getting in touch with that higher self. And now here's what I mean by that. The more we're doing, the more effort we apply to any initiative, uh, the more out of touch we are with the truth of that initiative. So uh, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean that that we should just lay around and do nothing. <laughs> what I do mean is that when we get inside of ourselves and try to sort of kick over the gravestones in there and make things rise from the dead, then what we're doing is we're, we're pushing with our, our mindset, we are pushing to make something happen inside there. Um, it just, and as we saw from Selena's journey, it just doesn't work that way. Selena really tried. She meditated and, and worked and tried to get in touch with that peaceful place that she just fell into one day in an authentic, I mean, an authentic experience through meditation. She sort of just, her mind just opened up and, and she was able to receive that information that was there. But, uh, it just wouldn't happen to her when she went looking for it. And that's how it is. The more I try to make myself get into a meditative state, the less I'm able to get into a meditative state. So there is a kind of effort that is effortless, um, that is n- uh, not something that you do by pushing on it, um, that is coming from the central organizing feature of your life, which is the divine self. And that is, that is the authentic self. That is coming forward. It's not something we try to make happen. So when you hear people say, well, you should not be afraid. You should not feel fear. You should not have negative thoughts. You should." All of those people are telling you how to get in touch with your spiritual self. And the more you try to do that work, the harder it's going to be for you to get in touch with your spiritual self. Um, because it doesn't work that way. What we need to recognize first and foremost is that the central organizing feature of our existence is this divine self. And it is organizing our life so that we have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to wake up, 
to who we actually are. And that, that is the heaven, the field of heaven in which both the wheat and the tares are growing. And in that field of heaven, we have these wonderful stalks of wheat that are growing up and, and we can turn around and just look. Like I'm sitting in my office right now and I'm looking at the wall that I had painted a sort of light purple color. And I'm, I'm sort of feeling what that feels like to be in this room with that color. And, and so I feel a little sort of gentle breeze of peace come through me as I'm feeling that. Why did that happen? Not because I tried to make it happen. It happened because I just turned and looked at what was inside of me, is inside of me. Just by looking around the room, I'm going, okay, what is inside of me? Oh, well, there's that nice little gentle breeze of that. Now, there's also other things inside me simultaneously. Tears growing up, things that I might need to work or work on through um, a sort of spiritual awareness, but not. Uh, but those things are, can can sort of sit there beside the wheat that's growing, and I don't need to pull them out. Um, which is what we're trying to do when we go in and try to yank things around inside of us. We're trying to pull out those tares. And what Jesus told the, uh, what the, the, in the parable, what the man told his laborers was, no, don't pull the tares out because if you pull the tares out, you'll pull the wheat out too. Let's just wait till harvest time. And then we'll separate the wheat from the tares and we'll throw the tares in the furnace. And what's happening in that furnace is not hellfire, which most people interpret that to mean, but rather a transformation is occurring. And that transformation occurs very naturally inside that furnace. All you have to do is put the the uh, pottery in the furnace and it cooks. It becomes something else. All you have to do is put the metal in the furnace and it's melted down to its core. All you have to do is put the bread in the oven and it cooks and becomes bread. So uh, so that that's the thing is... We're, we just opened to the possibility that that furnace is going to transform us. And that was what began to happen over time with Selena and Adam as they became aware that something was transforming them from inside out, not from outside in. And so when we, we're told these things that we should do to practice, to go after, we're being, we're being led astray. I'm sorry to put it that way, but we actually are. We're being told that we should uh, there are certain things that we should do, and if we don't do those things, then we're not really interested in spirituality. And um, and so we judge ourselves that way. So we say, well, I've been meditating for X number of years, and by this time I should not feel any fear. And so when fear comes up, we're like, oh my gosh, what's that doing there? I need to grab that tear out of there and, you know, throw it away. And, and what I'm doing is I'm, 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 I'm tearing the weed out too. I'm tearing out the good things too. Um, so, uh, when you hear that kind of guidance, I would say brush it aside and look for new guidance, guidance that comes from within you, because that's where the truth actually is. And you, your process is not going to be one where you reach this place of perfection and enlightenment doesn't mean you do everything good. Enlightenment means you're aware. Enlightenment means you've wait, you're awake to who you actually are as a divine being. And, uh, that is an ever, unfolding process that occurs lifetime after lifetime after lifetime after lifetime so it's not we can't push this river let me say that again we cannot push this river it it, we get in and the river will carry us but we we cannot push it Um, it just doesn't work that way so i don't have any one two three steps for you on how to experience heaven today i don't have any of that um what i do have is that that we can just 
gently let ourselves become more aware of not only what is going on inside of us, but the experience of living in this world as it is now. One of my favorite things to do is just sort of look around um, at what is around me. And one of the things I look for is nature, the things in nature that are just natural, <laughs> of course. And they are they do what is natural to do. And that's why it's so inspiring to be in nature. I love to get out into the woods. I have some woods in my backyard that I just love to look at. Last night, the moon was partially full and it was coming right in over the back uh, balcony of my house and it was hitting the trees in this certain blue light way. And it was just amazing. And I just stand there and I take that in and it just feels so natural and so uh, such a part of me because I get in touch with that natural part of me. And that natural part of me and that natural part of you is divine. It is not, it is not evil or, or even good. It's neither one. It's divine. And that's what this book, Inhabiting Heaven Now, The Answer to Every Moral Dilemma Ever Posed, is really all about. The reason that it can be the answer to every moral dilemma ever posed is because the moral dilemmas come from the duality trance state. And when we get involved in heaven, this, there is no duality trance state. There is no good or bad. There's just divine. There's just oneness. There's just the truth of who we actually are. Uh, and it's not in opposition to anything because it includes all those things that we were not. And we were not. So if, so if I'm living in the duality transcend, I might operate out of a, say, let's say a superwoman identity. And in that identity, I'm going to take charge and be responsible and tell other people how lazy they are. And I'm going to want them to be more like me. But if they were more like me, then I wouldn't have anything to do. So I really don't want them to be more like me. I want them to stay lazy so I can be the superwoman. And so that's how that dance works. And and uh, that's what I've been doing all my life. And so I'm not. I'm not being true to who I actually am, and yet there's a central organizing feature in my life that's informing me constantly. Hey, 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 there's there's ways that you're not being true to yourself, and hey, there's this other thing over here that gives you peace. And, you know, sometimes with Superwoman in particular, it speaks up through the body. You start getting physical breakdowns of some kind, and you and you begin to be aware that your body just can't take the stress of you trying to be Superwoman all the time. And uh, so the body informs, or sometimes it's the life crisis that informs. But those, every one of those things is an opportunity for us to wake up. Like with Adam, his wake-up call was the death of his sister. And what a horrible way to wake up. Yes, absolutely, I don't want that to happen to anybody's sister. But in this case, that's what happened. And the reason I think it happened that way was because Adam was so hardened to any other possible intervention. That was the only thing that would have wakened it, wakened it, awakened him. And so am I saying that his sister had to sacrifice his life so Adam could wake up? No, that's not what I'm saying. We, we make those dots, we connect those dots. They are not connected. Yes, his sister died and that was tragic. Um, but, and, and, and yes, his sister also woke him up, but that doesn't mean that there's a cause and effect there. Um, he woke up as a, as a choice he made to get in touch with something deeper. Um, he could have chosen just to stay hardened and make that, let that event make him harder and angrier and more violent. He could have done that, but he didn't. Um, and that means his harvest was here. He had reached that place where it was time for him to wake up, and he realized it, and he began to wake up. So uh, in the process of discovery that is heaven, we wake up slowly, and 
you know, thank goodness, because uh, there is a, a time that will eventually come, I believe, that where we, we will wake up wa- rapidly. There will be a sort of hundredth monkey thing that will happen where, where we reach uh, that place where there's nothing else that could happen except for the next person to awaken. And all of a sudden, there's going to be this domino effect, and people are going to start waking up without any preparation, without any slow time. It's going to be this very quick wake up, and that's going to be sort of uh, um, disorienting. They're going to be, uh, it's going to be difficult for us to wake up rapidly. So this slow process of waking up is much better. <laughs> so instead of criticizing ourselves for not being totally, fully, perfectly enlightened today, then we need to rest into the process and trust that the process is going to carry us where we need to go. That's not what we're taught, though, and that's not what we want to believe. We want to believe that, snap, I'm going to have enlightenment today. I'm going to have this experience. I'm going to fit into this meditative place, and I'm just going to go there, and suddenly all the lights are going to go on, and I'm just going to be the super person, and everybody's going to look to me, and I'm going to be this great teacher, and I'm going to get to do all the things I want to do, and I'm going to have all my desires met and all my needs. Yeah, um, that's a nice fantasy, but uh, that's not how it works. That's not what, how it's supposed to work. We are living in the duality trans state for a reason. Because we have got to answer all the questions inherent to the duality trans state in order for us to move to that next level of experience where there is no duality trans state. We've got to answer all those questions. And you and I took that brave route to come down here on planet Earth and do that thing. So if we trust that process, then we know that, okay, well, inhabiting heaven now means that I live here on planet Earth in the field where the wheat and the tares grow together. And that is heaven. And, and, and the experience of heaven opens to me as I become more and more aware of who I am as a divine being. As a matter of fact, I am heaven because I am a divine being. And that experience, as we begin to really um, wor- to move past those sort of blocks, there is a lot of bliss. There is a lot of joy. There is a lot of peace. There is a lot of that deep understanding of what's really going on with life when, when tragedy occurs. And so... Yeah, it's harder to rock us as we get there. It's really hard to rock us. But uh, it is a process, and it is ever unfolding, and it's definitely one we can trust. So I hope that these case studies have sort of helped you get the idea of what it's like to inhabit Nevin now. And uh, we're going to talk some more next week about what it's like to live the authentic life. And um, so you want to be here for that. Don't miss this next week's show at 1, 1 p.m. P- Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, on next Wednesday. And I'll be back. I hope you will be too. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.